Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most electrifying, must-listen-to podcast in sports entertainment, namely because it's the only one still around. I am your host, Damien Ellinghouse, accompanied as always by good friend, lover of wearing shirts, Ryan Doyle. You know, they're not sleeves cut off like you have currently. I, I feel a little... Uh... Well, that's why I said I you're a little lover. cucked right now. That's why I said you're a lover of shirts. You know, I, you're not a lover. <laughs> not of ha- oh, okay. You didn't specify. So. No, no, that's you know, you like full t-shirts. Uh, Ryan, before recording, asked me what my hair metal would name would be, uh, and I picked Adrian Vice. So if you see me in public, you can call me Adrian Vice. I think mine would be Roddy Roddy Cobalt. Roddy Cobalt. Okay. Roddy Cobalt Michael. or Rod. Rod, you know, someone, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something sure. Rod. That's great. Rod, Roddy Cobalt, like R-O-D-D-I. Oh. Hmm. Roddy Cobalt. If you add an I, does that make it more hair metal? Or does that make it more like gothic? No, that's definitely more hair metal because like you had to, like you couldn't just have an, like an Andronimus name. Like you had to. Also, okay. put like an eye at the end. You know what I mean? Okay. Okay. Like Nikki, like Nikki Six or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did he have three sixes at the end of his name or two? Because missed, oppor- two. missed opportunity to not have three. You know, Mister yeah. Mister Girls, Girls, Girls didn't have three X's in his name. <laughs> no foresight in that band. No foresight. All right. So, uh, this is part two of our holy shit. It's WrestleMania special. Uh, so. We obviously are recording here post-mania. So uh, me and Ryan are going to give our thoughts on uh, what I think was an interesting, at the very least, mania. Uh, And then directly following that is going to be the conclusion of our great crossover special featuring uh, Friend Beers, Anthony Capozzi, and Will Wagner. And we're going to be talking about some real wacky shit uh, at the end there. So... So two first ever two night mania, uh, yeah, it was. Well, let's talk about that aspect first. How was uh, how was processing two manias as opposed to one for you? Well, I got to tell you this. You know, I really enjoyed the fact that no show went over four hours. That was really nice, um, and I think it made the whole thing a little more palatable, especially in terms of what's happening right now. Um, I also think that in general, I, I think it works. I'm I can get up for two days of it, and it makes it a little bit more of a weekend. For you know, I'm sure it would suck if you had to go to two shows and pick which one you're going to go to, and ticket prices and all that. But as far as a watcher, I'm into it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's ultimately the thing. I would love for them to do two nights. Is that going to be able to translate to when they do stadium shows? Hopefully next year again. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. Oh, it's easy to say that. Yeah, of course they could do two WrestleManias, but you have to also have to think of the production cost. Uh, you know, these tickets. I think the cheapest ticket last year for WrestleMania at MetLife Stadium in Jersey was a hundred bucks for the less row. So you got to think of it that way. I mean, yeah. hell, you have people coming over from Europe and all seven continents. I mean, I don't know if any penguins are coming over from Antarctica, maybe, but, uh, you know, you have people all over the world coming from here. So people are willing to spend the money. The disposable income is there. Does it make sense on WWE's part to do two nights? I hope they do. I mean, honestly, this was way more 
Awesome. Plus, we also have to think too, like, I pray we're not. We're, are we going to be in the position to, you know, watch the way we did come uh, March of next year? Yeah. I mean, you'd certainly hope so. Uh, as long as everybody stays the fuck inside, uh, you'd, you'd like to think so. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, you know, we keep comparing it to to New Japan with Wrestle Kingdom being the first ever two-night Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah. And I, and I understand that to some degree it's not necessarily fair because Wrestle Kingdom's at the Tokyo Dome every year, and it's still a cost, but it's in the same place every year. You can plan it. You know when it's going to be. It's right. the same date. Right. You know you, you have years' worth of data. To, okay, this is how much it's going to cost. This is how much a hotel is going to go with some variables, of course. Um, and it's a little tougher with Mania because you don't know where it's going to be. How much traveling are you going to have to do? And and yeah, mm-hmm. the cost of are you willing to do it twice? But um, I'm pretty sure that Wrestle Kingdom this year, uh, I don't know if it necessarily broke attendance records, but it did very well. The gates did very well. And there's no reason for me to think that Mania would like attendance will be there. Uh, and truth be told, I don't know, man. WrestleMania isn't exactly that accessible to people anyway, so it might even be a moot point. Like, it's it's fucking expensive to try and go to Mania. No, yeah, exactly my point. Like, you know, this isn't like something where, you know, come day of, you'll be able to grab some cheap tickets. I mean, yeah, maybe that's the case. I think in New Japan's uh, circumstances, all they wanted to do, all they wanted to achieve with two nights is that they sold out both nights, which they did. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the Tokyo Dome isn't a 20,000-seat arena where they could fill it up. It's, I think they could fit, like, 50, I think was the number. I could be wrong on that. It's, it's definitely a sizable number, yeah. so it was, it's definitely in feet. Plus, we're talking about a country the size of California, so it's not like they had a country full of 300 million people to draw from. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At least within, you know, within their own citizens, not counting people that flew into the country and stuff. But mm-hmm. we'll see. I mean, uh, if they can produce two cards like they did, I mean, obviously we got robbed of some other matches that we didn't get. Um, also, an editorial note: I'm sorry, I said that Edge and Randy Orton wasn't happening. It seems that WWE threw <laughs> some information out there to, you know, to the dirt sheets and the marks to make them all crazy. So, but I, I did hear us's. that to the usses, yes, the usses of the world and uh, the Cassies. Uh- Vinny Mac, Vinny Mac got one over on us this time. Uh, you tell so, that son of a bitch, Damien. Edges in wrestling. Make him go crazy. That makes it sound like he, like, called you up. Ryan, listen <laughs> up, pal. I got a job for you. I'm kind of making him sound like Hulk Hogan. What you gonna do? <laughs> uh, so, so we... In light of the circumstances, right, we had a little nice little video chat with a couple of pals. Uh, and you know what? We came in with some, I would say, fair uh, expectations. We weren't really expecting much, and we were even willing, it, like, I, like I had said last episode, um, I kind of would have preferred they just not do it just for the safety of the performers, for the product, that... I would have been fine with them just canceling it, but I understand why they did not. And so our expectations were fairly low. And like Anthony said, you know, it's just kind of about being entertained. It's just nice to have a little bit of normalcy. And so getting to make it a weekend, especially with nothing fucking going on, to have something to look forward to Saturday and Sunday 
Uh, I get it. Now, I haven't looked into how their ratings did or how their subscriptions did. I it, Mania it always spikes. Their subscriptions always spike, and you know they always do well. So I don't know if this was more or less if there was a drop off from day to day. Well, granted, and it was two nights, but this was the most. And you know, social media numbers. It depends. Uh, and there's Mercury's tail in the camera. Hello, Mercury. Hello, Mercury. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, social media numbers from WWE's and are always inflated. It's like, oh, we beat out the four main, you know, leagues and on Twitter. It's like, well, that's not really an achievement. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. This mania was the most talked about on social media ever, uh, even more than yeah. last year. And last year it had a full show and you know a full mm-hmm. card. Yeah. So I think that's an achievement for them. They were the, they were the only game in town right now, and you see exactly. UFC scrambling to try to keep their uh, event going up. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though one of their main wrestlers, sorry, uh, I'm going to get a lot of heat for that. <laughs> one of their main fighters uh, <laughs> is not performing on the card in Khabib. And, um, but Dana White scrambling to do the show still. I heard on a private island, like Mortal Kombat style. Excuse me? Because he knows that eyes are going to be on the product. And, you know, the missed opportunity business-wise and networking-wise, like, they want to get this done. They saw what WWE did over the weekend. Private Island. That's interesting. Uh, yeah. Also, so- you know, I don't know if you saw this too, but the pay-per-view model was being pushed a lot by the company this weekend because they realized people are at home, fans that aren't aware of the network, even though they made the Mania free if you signed up, you know, but if they they were trying to get like those laps fans that still were looking at the paper. Yeah. It's like, okay, we can make a quick 60 bucks off them. Let's do it. And I think, yeah, I think you can usually do that too. So, I mean, I'm sure they did well with it. And uh, so, so like we said, you know, our expectations were fairly low. It's just kind of nice to have something to watch and it being two nights, let it be a little weekend out of it. You know, I made a big tray egg plant palm and uh, you know, ordered, ordered some pizza for Sunday and, you know, got to make a thing of it. And, so to the product itself. So I've seen a lot of different takes and you know I've seen everything from like this was legitimately one of the best manias ever to like this was an abomination. And of course the truth is always in the middle, but so for me I was in some places surprised at how much I was enjoying it. And but I do feel like for the most part, I was exactly where I expected myself to be, which is, well, this is fine. And uh, some of it's not fine. And that's the problem with WrestleMania is, you know, it's not that the cards don't look good most years, but the product often feels stale. And there's only like one or two things that you're like, oh, cool, this will be cool. And there were there were some matches that really underwhelmed and some results that were uh, surprising in a not particularly fun way. Well, let's talk about, cause I think you have to, you have to separate these, these two shows into three tiers, right? Mm-hmm. The top tier is going to be the Boneyard and the Funhouse matches, which we will get to yes. in a little bit. Yes. Uh, the second tier are matches that were scheduled for the show. And WWE had to figure out a way to still uh, execute them correctly. And the third was just the matches that they threw together to last minute. Um, yeah. So let's start off with those, I guess, first. Actually, you know what? Let's start off with um, 
the finishes themselves because it was rumored that they wanted a lot of the baby faces to win, which occurred to make the fans, mm-hmm. you know, go home happy and, you know, oh, be satisfied with the card. Uh, my main gripe with one of the finishes was uh, Charlotte versus Ray Ripley. Yeah. Okay. Actually, so, what, yeah. Okay. So give me your take on that. So first off, we'll say this. Uh, night one underwhelmed a lot. It was not a strong, it wasn't a strong night. Uh, there were some high spots, uh, but overall it wasn't that strong a night. Uh, night two started off with Charlotte versus Rhea Ripley. And so for me, I thought it was a very good match. I thought that it was well worked. Yeah. Uh, I, I really like Rhea. And listen, you can say a lot of things about Charlotte. We shouldn't be doubting her in-ring ability at this point. That is one of the best women in the world. That's, that's in my opinion, one of the best wrestlers in the world. Uh, I don't feel like that's controversial. I, some people may not share my opinion of that, but she's certainly an instrumental figure to WWE's current product. And I, and I get it. So I get the push for her. Uh, and so, like, she worked well, Rhea worked well, and it's it's cool because Rhea and Charlotte are both very power-based. Charlotte, a little more athletic, but overall, you know, it was kind of like a, a strongman match. Um, but the finish with Charlotte going over Rhea to become the uh, two-time NXT Women's Champion, yeah, that, that didn't sit right with me. Um, I mean, look at it from this way. I... The match itself was excellent. I mean, uh, don't t- don't be misguided about what I said that I was disappointed with the finish, which I was. But the match itself was awesome. I mean, even mm-hmm. even though like you know WWE will um, decide to do some things that don't really work, it worked. I mean, Charlotte worked over Ray's leg the entire time, and that's how she lost because she got put in the submission hold and she couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. But they did this because they want to get eyes on the NXT product by, you know, putting the belt on a known superstar, uh, mm-hmm. somebody with, you know, the legacy of Charlotte Flair. But what's going to get more eyes on the product? You know, I mean, like, what are you going to like? You have to build stars like the future is yeah. now. You can't keep relying on these names. And like, you know, is Charlotte Flair going to make you watch NXT? And, and that is. And- yeah. Or is somebody like a new superstar like, wow, who's this? She beat Charlotte? What? Okay, I got to see what she's all about. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. just from me, but Charlotte's not going to make me watch NXT. I'm sorry. I agree. And here's the thing, right? When you talk about getting eyes on NXT, right? It's not that NXT does poorly. And TV ratings are really like, uh, you know, people on, on Twitter and people like to joke all the time that all of a sudden everyone became TV ratings experts the minute dynamite started and we had wars again all of a sudden everybody knows everything about tv ratings right so i'm not gonna sit here and act like i know fucking shit about shit but if you're talking about getting eyes on a product right you're that means you're talking about getting eyes off of dynamite onto nxt because here's the reality folks if you're not raw and you're not smackdown you're not getting casual viewers Dynamite will attract some people who have a passing interest of WWE and are like, oh, it's something interesting. You'll get some people that, you know, remember the Monday Night Wars. and But largely, AW does not cater to a person that's not interested in wrestling. Raw and SmackDown have built that brand over decades, and that is currently how it's going to be 
until probably for years, right? AEW is going to put in more time to be a household name like that. So the people you're competing with is AEW. Let me tell you something. The people watching AEW, I have a hard time believing that you putting the belt back on Charlotte Flair is the thing that's going to make you be like, oh, shit, I should go watch that. And it's no disrespect to Charlotte, honestly. It's not to suggest there's no one out there that likes her, and that's not really what I'm trying to say. You might be interested, right? But like you said, build up new stars. Rhea went over Shayna right. Baszler, and it worked. And No, they, yeah, they did. Sorry, continue, but... No, but it, it, you're right. Your indignation is is warranted because she went over the right person at the right time and she had the steam and she had the momentum. And what better way to build a new star than her also taking down Charlotte, who is still viewed by WWE standards as the top dog outside of like Becky Lynch. I just don't really see the point on putting the belt back on her. It's not particularly interesting. Yeah, and... To counterpoint my own argument, you know, if you told me a couple of months ago, it's like, oh, does Charlotte really need to fight an NXT superstar? Yeah, okay, that's fine. That was a great idea. I love that idea. But why are you going to waste a program like this for three months and, you know, build up Rhea, present her as like this just badass figure, like, you know, this new and up and coming star? Like, you built the bridge to the next level where we're to be established Rhea to make her a superstar on this show. So people see Rhea and it's like, okay, oh, the only place to check her out is on Wednesday nights. Let me check out NXT. Uh huh. Here's the thing. Charlotte isn't going over to NXT full time. She's still gonna be on Raw. So if you're if you're uh, you know, looking at this match of like, you know, viewing it as like I gotta watch Charlotte wherever she goes, you're just gonna check her out on Monday night with Raw. You're not gonna watch NXT specifically for Charlotte. Mm-hmm. And honestly, you know I mean? she might she might defend the belt on Raw and SmackDown. For all we know, the belt will change hands on, on Raw or SmackDown. You know, we don't really know how they're going to work it. Um, but, and here's the thing, right? My guess is, and the reason that we're spending so much time on this finish is because there aren't a ton of them that didn't go the way people expected. So this was like one that I was, that we were genuinely surprised by. But I'm sure that the logic is, well, Rhea is young and we want to build up other superstars. So instead of having other also young superstars or younger superstars beat her early in her reign, have it be Charlotte so that she got to the top of the mountain. She stumbles. You have somebody new take it off of Charlotte, maybe a, a heel. And then you have Rhea get the belt. I'm not, maybe there's a, maybe there's a line there and uh, I don't know, maybe it'll end up being interesting, but me personally, I didn't like it started off night two on a bad taste for me. Yeah. Uh, and like the last thing I'll say about this is that, you know, me and you are both from the school of thought that, you know, we want to see WWE succeed in building up new stars. And that's all it really comes mm -hmm. down to us because, you know, what was the great thing about the attitude era is that they took chances on a bunch of guys and it clicked. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it just sucks when they, they ride these trains and they, they put people up on a platform knock them down by having them lose the match they were supposed to win and then giving it to them down the road a couple months later. It's just like, yeah, well, the magic is gone. I'm sorry. Like, you know, maybe I'm mm -hmm. looking at it the wrong way, but strike while the iron's hot. Fuck it. Like, what do you have to lose? There are moments where that works and there are moments where it doesn't. This doesn't currently feel like it, but perhaps we'll look back in a few months and be yeah, like, oh, okay, we'll fine. This We'll we'll see. And so so like we said, we we're spending so much time talking about this because largely the matches went as expected, right? So 
you were talking about the three tiers of matches, right? So there were a few matches just kind of thrown together last minute. Street Profits versus um, Angel Garza and Austin Theory. That was originally supposed to be a slot in which you were going to have Humberto Carrillo, Andrade, Rey Mysterio, and Angel Garza have a, a fatal four-way for the United States Championship. Rey got sick. Andrade got hurt. I'm guessing Humberto probably got hurt or maybe he was sick also and they did so they just made it a a tag match that the street profits retained the raw uh the raw tag team championships and it was fine it was a fine match the interesting thing that happened at the end of that match was after street profits won they were then attacked again by austin theory and angel garza and then bianca belair came out for the save uh and then on raw yesterday announced that it looks like she's up full time I think she deserved a reign with the NXT championship. And I don't think it should have come at the cost of Rhea. It should have come from Shayna. She should have beaten Shayna. And I I don't like the fact that she never mm-hmm. got a, a reign with it. I know Becky didn't either. I'm not saying it's a death knell, but frankly, I don't trust yeah. WWE's main roster right now as much as no, I do. No, you're right. NXT. I mean, did, did she deserve it? Yes. Uh, at the same token, though, it's just like, look at all the stars that came through NXT. It's like everybody can't get a shot. Uh, I think she definitely earned it, though. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. But hey, I mean, Street Profits are hot as hell right now. So maybe, you know, sticking her with them right now is the best thing to happen. Sure. Not that I want her to play, you know, third banana to those guys. But at least she's paired with them. You know, she can interact with different people. Uh, and, you know, maybe she'll just get a shot at Charlotte on Raw. Who knows? Yeah, and, um, we'll, and we'll get to what I think might happen next in a second uh, when we get to the next tier. But... Uh, outside of that, right, there were a couple other matches that were just kind of thrown in there. Roman obviously pulling out of the Universal Championship match, uh, which then they threw Braun into with no build, obviously, which was to be expected, but also no explanation and no storyline and no confrontation yeah. and no anything. Uh, the match was fucking terrible. I don't care. I, I don't... I, it was a squash. I, Listen, I, like, I love I Goldberg, I, but, like, it's over. Come on. I don't need him in WWE ring again. Like, just... Whatever. I don't I don't pop for him, dude. I really don't. Like they did it with Brock and it was cool because it was Brock. That match where Goldberg just squashed Brock, mm-hmm. spear, 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 Jack, that worked because you hadn't seen Goldberg and he fucking comes out of nowhere and beats And the you weren't top expecting guy. that. And you weren't expecting it. Yeah. It was a mania moment. There was a huge crowd. It made sense. And then they just kept going back to the fucking well. And obviously Goldberg can't do more than this. Like, this is just the he extent can't of lift, what... He, he can't lift people with a jackhammer, and I'm telling you what, man. I mean, he can kick my ass for sure, but if you sure. can't do that anymore, then I'm, it's gone. There's no reason for you to do it. Imagine if Shawn Michaels yeah. going to do switch in music anymore. You know, it's just like, well, hang it up, Chief. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying Goldberg doesn't look great, and but I don't know, man. He's got no magic for me, and uh, the match sucked, but it had the right result. Braun won, and I hope that when things go back to normal... I don't care how long he has it. He can lose at the very first title defense. As long as that title defense is to Roman Reigns. In my opinion, Roman overcoming Braun as the new top, whatever you want to make him, face, heel, tweener, doesn't matter. He excels in all the roles, really. To have Roman go over Braun in a reignition of that feud, which in my opinion is what put, it's not my opinion, it's what put Braun on the map. One of Roman's best feuds as a singles performer. I like the story more. I'm glad Braun has a belt. He'll always have that. Can't take it away from him. Doesn't matter who he beat. Uh, happy with the result. Trash fucking match. Really terrible. Not <laughs> just, just not good. 
Uh, I think that was about it. I mean, how many other matches were just made uh, on the spot? It went made on the spot. Sami Zayn and uh, Daniel Bryan was a good match. I think Daniel wanted to take the pin because it just continues the story, which is fine. Uh, Bobby Lashley and um, Aleister Black was yeah. a made up on the spot too. That was a fine match. You know, you got to look at it from that way. Uh, the ladder match night one was good. Uh, Morrison had some awesome spots that was thrown together only for the reason that it was three members of each. It was one member from each team as opposed to all three tag teams. Uh, so that was fine. And then, you know, now tier two to me would be, um, Edge and, else, really. Yeah, Edge and Orton, Shayna and Becky, uh, and then the cha- uh, the championship matches between Drew and Brock. Yeah, um, so I think I, I was glad that you know I'm glad that they put Black over Bobby. You know, um, it was the right decision. I'm glad. I'm happy. We're pushing Alistair Black. Hope he gets a shot at the belt soon. He's great. I love him. Uh, that Sammy match turned out to be really brutal, but it really looks like Sammy's not going to be wrestling the way that we want him to maybe ever again. So that's a bummer, but uh, yeah. So then to get to, to get to the second tier there. Um, so Becky and uh, Shayna, that was a very surprising outcome to me. Uh, Becky retained over Shayna. Yeah. It was weird. And there were a yeah. few things about it. I didn't like. Uh, they had Shayna almost cry when she lost. She lost off of a roll-up, sat slunk in the corner, looked like she was ready to cry, and then just walked away. It was a very surprising way for her to... I don't know. It was weird. It was weird. Yeah. I, again, I didn't like the match. I mean, oh, sorry. I didn't like the finish. Um, it's 50-50 right now. Here's what you can do. Why would you build up Shayna all that time to, you know, have her overpower people and, you know, just have her go, go straight to the top, straight to that championship match? Um, if they didn't want to do it there because they thought, you know, like, well, screw it. It's this is like a made up mania. Let's not waste this opportunity right now. What they can do is that, you know. But I get that. I get what you what you said about Becky because I know this is a little sacrilege to say, but you know, growing up watching Stone Cold just go through everyone and do whatever the hell he wanted. Like after a while, it's just like, okay, all right, you know what? Like, let's get yeah. some new faces in here. Again, you know, it's a situation where they should have struck while the iron was hot. If this forces Shayna to come back, you know, even more meaner, and you know, just grab the belt off of Becky. That's fine, but let's just like you had the opportunity to do it here. So why are you just gonna like you know? So here's the thing, right? To talk about maybe they didn't want to do it there. Fine, I get the logic in that. You want it to be a big deal when Becky loses. It's a year long reign. I completely get that. And to even have Becky beat Shayna on a roll up, if Shayna had then kicked the ever loving shit out of her, like really, really fucking beat her up. Then it clearly, okay, the feud's going to continue. And then when we get him in front of a live performance, Shayna's going to beat Becky. And I, but again, they just had her fucking slink off. She, they just they, they had her be like, oh, man, I got beat. Like, it's not even like she got beat to hell and couldn't move. It was just she she got rolled up. It's not. And then <laughs> Becky celebrated in the ring. 
It's not even like Becky ran off after and she was just left her own devices. She just was like, oh, oh no. Oh, this is, this is terrible. I gotta go back to the block. Yeah, it was a little, it was a little weak. It was like, a little weak. What? You had her fucking rip her neck flesh off. Why the fuck? What? Like it is that is not consistent, and that is not who Shayna Baszler is. It's not who she's been in her entire NXT run, and it's not who she was when she came up to the main roster. So, like, what the fuck are we doing? Uh, yeah. match was fine. Match, match was fine. fine, and didn't hate it, didn't love it. Uh, Brock whatever. versus Drew again. It, it is like I loved it. I mean, I didn't love the match, but I love the outcome. Like it was time for Drew to win. I wish he got to do it in front of a full audience. It would have translated a lot better that match yeah. because it was just it was it was a better version of the Goldberg and Braun match where it was just it was just pretty much spam finishers. But it would have went over a lot better in ring. It doesn't make a difference. Brock did the job. He did what he had to do. The right thing happened, and everybody went home happy in terms of that. Unless you're Brock, yeah, of course. But I think it's time that you know. Plus, they did it the right way. You know, I hate keep bringing this up, but like when Seth Rollins faced Brock last year, they made him look like a pussy. And, you know, they they didn't make, for the first time, they didn't make someone challenging Brock look weak. They made him look strong. And I like what they did this entire segment with um, Drew McIntyre, and he earned it. It was the first time someone lost their way in WWE, was able to rise back up and grab it again. So that was fine but match. I only issue, my only issue, because I agree, hundred percent, right outcome. Brock sold that claim, that last claymore until the fucking logo came up. Like he just sat his ass in the middle of the ring, laid out. He really sold for Drew. Uh, his face, like I just remember, literally in the first minute, there was like a claymore that Brock dodged and like some some counters, and I was like, oh my god, is Brock actually gonna fucking wrestle? Like. And then yeah. it just turned into a regular Brock match. And again, I don't, I don't know. I'm not going to speculate at this point. Maybe it's Brock that just doesn't feel like doing it. Maybe it's the way that they book him. They don't want him to do too much. They, I, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. It's not, it doesn't make for particularly captivating matches anymore, but agreed right outcome. Really wish he could have had it in front of a crowd. Mm -hmm. That pop would have been huge. Uh, Brock sold for him. Drew looked strong. Drew looked like he overcame a lot. He's in a rare company of people that took three plus F5s and survived. Uh, yeah, if the only person. I don't know if he won. He might have lost after a fourth or some shit. So regardless, rarefied air. Uh, yeah, it was, it was good overall. And uh, yeah, absolutely. not a ton left to say about the rest of Mania. Uh, the matches ranged from not particularly good or fucking terrible to... Pretty decent. The Kevin Owens yeah. Seth match was a good blow off. Looked Great like they were spot. gonna have a fucky fin. Yeah, looked like they were gonna have a fucky finish. Restarted the match. Mm -hmm. Got a great high spot out of it. Uh, I it Orton, that that ending was perfect. Listen, would it have made a better match? If they shaved ten minutes off of them not you know huffing and puffing and trying to like you know cash yeah. some air and stuff like that. Yeah, but like <laughs> if that's your main. If that's your main complaint that the match is too long, then like stop, dude. Like this match, like this mania shouldn't have been happening. The ending was perfect as long as you got, as long as you were in the vehicle and got to the end perfectly. It's fine by me. It was supposed to be a brutal match. It came across that way. I'm not gonna like some higher up insiders were shitting on the match because it went too long. Like I don't care. Whatever. It was great. Yeah. It. The I did think it went a little too long, but the ending, uh, more than made up for it. The pain in Edge's face when he goes for the concerto, mm -hmm. uh, 
Randy setting up the punt. Whole thing worked. Crowd, no crowd. Uh, sucks for Edge, but I think that clearly Edge is going to be here for a little bit. So yeah. we'll just look forward to the to next big That's pop. That's not his so, last match. Yeah, not his last match, clearly. So we'll see him again. And so that brings us to the true highlights. <laughs> and and honestly, this is a, they should have done a little more of this. Uh, the Boneyard match and the Firefly Funhouse, right? Now, honestly, we could spend another hour talking about the complexities of the two. Uh, so we'll try to keep it a little simple, right? The Boneyard match, uh, I was fucking hoping for Big Evil, and Daddy got Big Evil. And that, when Undertaker, you, you hear the fucking motorcycle, he's got Italica blasting. You know, you didn't get Limp Bizkit, but what are you going to do? <laughs> I fucking I popped what and it was like just a low budget action film and it yeah, worked. It's great. Per- it worked. It worked perfectly. Uh, um, not not everyone know, thinks that, but I did. If they're gonna insist on Taker wrestling, have him do this. This is fine. Let him yep. do these mat. Let him do these types of matches moving forward. You know, we'll get some cinematic things of uh, AJ trying to escape hell or something like that. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, but fun. it worked. It worked exactly what they were trying to translate and. I think it was perfect. Hopefully we can get like a sting match out of this. And AJ headlined WrestleMania. Imagine thinking there that you go. It, it, AJ headlined WrestleMania and Undertaker and AJ found a way for me to give a shit about the fact that Undertaker was headlining another WrestleMania. It worked. He brought back the gimmick for the right reason. I, pr- I've, I prefer that to Spooky Deadman, but you still got some spooky antics out of it. Gallows and Anderson and AJ all died for our sins. Hallelujah. Uh, he went and made a big mistake. Uh, the hand. The hand at the shot end. In the, the hand <laughs> at the end, man. That was great. It was great. Uh, it Don't worked. I, I hope to see more of that. Absolutely. And so that brings us to... Oh, my God. Probably one of the most incredible things I have seen related to wrestling. Just full-blown the firefly funhouse match between john cena and bray wyatt now like i said we could spend an hour going through each little bit and the little callbacks and everything but basically right whereas the boneyard match was just a brawl between aj and undertaker with some you know spooky lighting and some cinematics and some cuts and whatnot this was a full-on fucking acid trip that happened in the funhouse itself and let me tell you something no person in the history of wrestling has ever done a job willingly like John Cena did for Bray Wyatt on night two of WrestleMania. In my opinion, there is no person. I can't think of anyone that would be willing to demean themselves that far. And we're not just talking like Cena got embarrassed. This match ends up being John taking a trip through his own career. And Bray just kind of being this malevolent force, mocking him the whole way, imitating Kurt Angle when he called out for a challenger and got John Cena, then imitating Eric Bischoff. At WrestleMania, we got the fucking Nitro song. We got the fucking Nitro beginning, and we had Bray Wyatt. The Saturday Night Main Event uh, 80s song. You're my obsession. They even had the fucking hard cam in the right place. Cena walked out to the right. Somebody pointed out on the internet. I didn't even fucking notice that. Wow, yeah. Because because the hard cam was set up on the other side. And the entire time, Bray just puts John on ice. Just Bray's Bray's like, you represent everything that is a failure to me. But who's the real failure? This man. uh, Listen, 
If you thought John Cena just walked around with a golden shovel and that was it, I think this match put that to to rest at this point. It really worked perfectly, man. And it makes me forget about all the bullshit that the Bray Wyatt and the Fiend had to go through. If if they had to go through that to get to here, fine. Absolutely fine. Absolutely. What's the one criticism that John Cena always got throughout his run with the WWE? Uh, that he refused to put over the younger talent. He always had now to he's him been on top. like to be fair, he has been doing that prior to this, but yes, not to this full fledged degree and willing no. to expose himself like this. Such it was self, every, yeah, self flagellation. Just it, <sighs> you know, and the last thing I said about I'll say about it is that you know it represented John Cena's absolute fears and uncertainty. It was him unwilling to commit to his marriage. It was him, uh, you know, having an ineffective, like not an ineffective debut, but like, you know, after that, after he beat Kurt Angle, he was going nowhere. And it took Stephanie McMahon to hear him rapping on the back of a bus one day to give him the rapper gimmick and Dr. Thugonomics. It was him Mm -hmm. fearing having to turn heel and what that would have done to him. That's what the NWO portion of that represented. Uh, It's him, you know, destroying Husky Harris and NXT when he was beating up Bray, and then he was beating up Huskis, like, you know what I mean? It was him not willing to hit uh, Bray Wyatt with the chair at WrestleMania 30 and where that match should have gone correctly, like, you know what I mean? It was him unwilling to do the job, but he did the job, and it was even more, man, and it was everything I wanted out of it. It was perfect. And you know what? The one criticism with these two matches that we described was that people don't like the surreal stuff, and I get it, but in the circumstances of what this racial mania was, hey, they went above and beyond for us. They didn't have to do that. They didn't have Absolutely. to put that much time into it and present it the way they did, but they gave it to us. And if you still have a problem with it after that, I don't know, Jack, like, you know, no, what makes you happy in life? <laughs> yeah, no, this is what it should have been. It was everything. And, and Bray won. And that's the biggest thing here is Bray won. All of the shit that John Cena spoke about, about you were never worth it, and I'm going to put you in your fucking place where you should have been. You are not even below, you're not even at the level below me. And he just looked defeated and broken, and then he just disappeared. Who knows what happens next? Cena comes back heel. Cena never comes back ever again. I don't fucking know. All I know is Bray Wyatt got put over. And I still don't know why we had to have him lose to Goldberg to get here. But fuck it. This match happened. John Cena buried himself for Bray. And we got one last promo of Bray in a rocking chair and a hat. And I love it. And it was great. And to wrap it all up, right, that match alone, plus the Boneyard, made this an entertaining two nights. I think that this WrestleMania gets an asterisk. It gets an asterisk. I wouldn't call it the worst anyway, but it gets an asterisk. I'm not going to call it the best or worst anything. It was a WrestleMania that we're surprised we even got. And it was was fine for what it was. And at certain points, it was incredible. And that's all that I wanted. It is what it was. Um, If you're expecting anything more out of it, then I'm sorry. That's not how it's going to work out. It made me happy for a weekend. It made me see my friends for a weekend mm-hmm. that I haven't seen in a while. It gave me a sense of normalcy. So let this WrestleMania be its own thing. 
we had a good time. Leave it at that. Don't look at it any other way else. You know, if you want to spend all day nitpicking at it, then that's your prerogative. But hey, it worked. It was fine. Thank Absolutely. you, WWE. Yep. Thanks. Uh, we'll see what happens now. The future is very uncertain. So, with that in mind, we're now going to bring it back to our conversation with Anthony and Will. And, well, I'll let me describe what happens next. If you look at the beginning of the year, right, 2020 started off with the first ever two-night Wrestle Kingdom, right? And it was incredible. And that's going to end up being the high point of the year because the rest of the year is shot. But WrestleMania is now going to be this weird two-night event filmed in front of no one. So so we thought it would be cool to talk about some of the weirdest shit that's happened in, in wrestling. And, uh, you know, when I think of, like, the weirdest shit that's happened in wrestling in terms of, like, big events, I don't think anything really fits that description better than the WCW New Japan Supercard Collision in Korea. Uh, which is, to date, the only professional wrestling match that we know of held in the glorious Democratic People's Republic of Korea, a.k.a. North Korea. Uh, are we all familiar with this match, this this card? I am not. No. Yeah, this, this, was, this was the event that uh, Ric Flair, Inoki, and Muhammad Ali tried to put together, right? Or they did put together. They did put together. So... <laughs> Okay, so this is even kind of funner then that you guys don't know about it. So I'm about to hit y'all with some fucking knowledge. Uh, so WCW and New Japan, as you guys may or may not know, they had a partnership in the 90s, right? That's how you had NWO Japan. That's where you, you, know, you had a lot of guys moving in and out. The first two January 4th Tokyo Dome shows were WCW New Japan Supercards. Uh, like the Steiner brothers worked over in Japan all the time. This might just on surface look like a cash grab uh, from Ted Turner and Antonio Inoki. But the truth is, professional wrestling and North Korea have more of a connection than you might think. Kim Sin Rock was born in the Kankyonan Prefecture, known these days as the South Hemgyong Province in North Korea. Uh, this is, you know, back when Korea was ruled by the Japanese in like the 50s. Uh, Kim was the son of Confucian Korean farmers, and upon his father's death, Kim was adopted by the Momoda family, who also were farmers from the Nagasaki prefecture in Japan, uh, and began training to uh, become a sumo wrestler. We all following along? We got this? Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> okay, good. So due to the, you know, back in those days, and even a little bit today, the social standing of Koreans in Japanese culture was like kind of lower than dirt. So Kim changed his name to Mitsuhiro Momoda and began telling people that he was born in Nagasaki. And eventually he was given the Shikona, which is the suit, like your sumo name. Uh, he was given the Shikona of Riki Dozan. So Riki Dozan, right? He rose as high as Sekiwake, which is the third highest rank in sumo. Uh, before he gave it up in 1950 and he took up professional wrestling. Now, following World War II, the Japanese Empire was in shambles and the spirit of its people were broken. And thus, Riki Dozan began taking on American opponents who would play the heel in order to give some shine to the younger face, right? Most notably, Riki Dozan would go on to feud with three-time NWA heavyweight champion and at the time current NWA international heavyweight champion, uh, Luthez. Luthez put a... He put Riki Dozan over and allowed his reputation to grow as to such that he was able to start Japan Pro Wrestling Alliance, 
which is the first ever wrestling organization in Japan. Uh, and Enrique Dozan would, of course, go on to mentor a young Antonio Inoki, among countless others. And as such, there was a special place of respect in Inoki's heart for Riki Dozan and the place he hailed from, which is a place that a lot of his countrymen spat on. So to put this in terms that are blunter, because obviously it's a shit ton of historical bullshit, Riki Dozan is known as the father of Puro Resu. In other words, like when you talk about Japanese wrestling, Riki Dozan is the guy that started it all. There is no more influential person to what you know as Japanese professional wrestling than him. Uh, and being the fact that he trained up Antonio Inoki, who started New Japan, there's this inherent connection between Japan and North Korea with regards to professional wrestling. Any questions from the class so far? Who would you compare him to in, from like the American scene? Riki Dozan? Yeah. Uh, who would be a good person to compare him to? Maybe like Vern Gagne or something like that. Vern Gagne was um, head of like AWA in like the Midwest and like Vince Senior uh, in, in New York City with WWWF and, uh, you know, well, the NWA guys. Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, I feel like you might pair him to someone like Vince Senior or like somebody in that era. Uh, because like if Vince Senior doesn't do what he does, you don't have wrestling in North America like you do today. And like Rico Dozan right. was kind of on that same level. So I'd probably say that's fair. I mean, uh, Vince Senior, like the only reason wrestling is how it is today is because he tried to, he, he really didn't have big dreams with WWWF. Like Vince Jr. was the one that like, he kind of bastardized it in Vince Senior's eyes. Yeah. So I feel like in terms of like why we have things the way we are now, like Vince Senior, somebody somebody in that era. So while Inoki's wrestling career is very well known, lesser known to us Americans is that he also had a long history in Japanese politics. Inoki <laughs> uh, was elected to the Japanese House of uh, Counselors as a representative of his own political party, which was called the Sports and Peace Party. And I shit you not, this party's like... Uh, I don't know, slogan, I guess, campaign slogan was an octopus hold on the national debt and an enziguri on the national consumption tax. So <laughs> that's ridiculous. <laughs> so that's that was a real thing that happened in Japan. I think Jesse, the body of Ventura did a similar thing. It, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think so. No, I, I like, don't know what he did. I'm no, sure. I, I think he, unless he was trying to bury his wrestling career before he went uh, all political. <laughs> I feel like that's some shit like Jesse Ventura probably did when he first started campaigning as a politician was like, I'm going to body slam the people up top. Some yeah. Like that. Uh, so drain the swamps. Yeah. Drain the swamp. So, but Inoki, <laughs> Inoki was not just like some random representative, right? Like by 1989, he was already a world-class star. He had already had his bout with Muhammad Ali. He was a national treasure. So this is a big fucking deal. I honestly think that this would probably be more akin to Hulk Hogan joining the Senate in the 80s, probably. Mm. Uh, so he And he made waves because he played a significant role in the release of over 100 Japanese families in Iraq prior to the Persian Gulf War. Uh, he personally met with representatives of Saddam Hussein's government and Saddam himself, at one point converting to Islam. Like, I <laughs> think his name, his name is actually like Madonna, uh, Muhammad Hussein Inoki. Yes. And he, or he organized an event known as the Festival of Sports and Peace in Baghdad in 1990, 
which included matches with legendary Japanese stars such as Riki Choshu, Masa Saito, Hiroshi Hase, and Kensuke Sasiki. This event, right, was such a success that Saddam's son apologized the next day on his father's behalf for holding the hostages for so long and immediately released all of the remaining Japanese hostages. And then the next day, Saddam released all of the hostages being held in Iraq. It was like 5,300 people. That's wild. Holy shit. It, like, yeah, I'm that's not, crazy, man. I'm not going to say that it's like a complete A to B correlation, but it had it played a huge part, and it was directly because of Antonio Inoki. So that was enough to get Inoki reelected. However, his next term saw him become embroiled in a corruption and embezzlement scandal that left his political aspirations up in the air. And it was sure. from that that Inoki decided to hold a show <laughs> in Pyongyang in an attempt to save some political face. And since at the time, WCW and New Japan had a working relationship, Eric Bischoff took it upon himself to arrange some talent to go over there and support Mr. Inoki without telling Turner. Like, he basically, Bischoff went to the brass and was like, if I did, like, a professional visit to North Korea, how would you guys feel? Like, what would happen? And Turner was like, yeah, you'd probably get a slap on the wrist and, you know, the State Department wouldn't be happy, but you'd get over it. And he was like, all right, sick. I'm bringing over the WCW to North Korea. Yeah. And so... I don't blame yeah. him. He's trying to do something different. That's what Bischoff's all about. And Bischoff already loved New Japan, like that we spoke about a couple episodes ago. Bischoff attending a January 4th Tokyo Dome show is what directly led to NWO being created. So he was more than willing to help them out. Yeah, I think he said that on 38 weeks also. So, And so from this, the largest wrestling show in the history of wrestling shows was born. And I'm not making that up. Yeah. Uh, it was... North Korea said that it was between 150 to 190,000 people in attendance. Meltzer said it was probably more like 130 to 150, but like 150,000 people most likely attended this event. That's it's crazy. Crazy. Insane. It's a it's an amount you it, what is that like four or five Madison Square Gardens, maybe more? Maybe. It's yeah. du- it's, it's almost double what you see in a modern day WrestleMania crowd, like skewing the WWE skewing the numbers aside. Like MetLife Stadium can hold eighty thousand people at capacity, so just think about double that. It's crazy. It's insane, and the matches on it were not awful on paper. You had Too Cool Scorpio, who I think might have been the inventor of the four fifty splash, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, he took on Wild Pegasus. We all wow. uh, we all know who Wild Pegasus is, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. We can't say his name, so we're not going to say his name. <laughs> but it, uh, Lord Voldemort. <laughs> Watch Dark Side of the Ring, then get back to me about how you feel. I, I, I'm a little more sympathetic to him than others. I don't. Wild yeah. Pegasus is Chris Benoit. That's who he is, and I'm not. I don't feel that Chris Benoit was an out and out monster Bless with nothing. Uh, but I'm also not of the opinion that he was like this blameless angel that just got wrapped up in bad shit and hurt himself. Yeah, no, he's still a piece of shit sometimes, but hey, hey. life is weird. Life is weird. Uh, another match on there was the Steiner brothers versus Hiroshi Hase and Kensuke Sasaki. And Shinya Hashimoto, who at the time was IWGP heavyweight champion, versus Scott Norton. Uh, Scott Norton of Fire and Ice and NWO. Uh, here's a fun fact about Scott Norton in the show. He was almost killed because he like called up his wife 
and him and his wife started getting into a fight and he and Scott Norton was really paranoid that they were tapping the phone lines and at one point he was like I don't even want to be here this country is a shithole and just Oof. like that the call got shut off he got whisked away to a hotel room and then started getting interrogated by generals oh my god that's crazy <laughs> uh Scott Norton was also a professional arm wrestler and he was at one point a yeah. bodyguard to Prince uh, and most notably, he was an IWGP heavyweight champion. Uh, That's intense. One of the only gaijin to ever headline the Tokyo Dome. Uh, that match was for the heavyweight championship. It ended in a 20-minute draw. And then uh, the main event was Antonio Inoki versus Ric Flair. So this is nice. interesting in that the latter, uh, Inoki and Flair had never even met in person or in the ring and prior to this, Inoki wanted Hulk Hogan. There was easily no more recognizable American in the world, like in professional wrestling, than Hulk Hogan. Hogan was very well known to the Japanese crowds because he had a stint in Japan in the mid '80s, yeah. where if you've if you've never watched a match, it's he's much more technical and uses an axe bomber as his finisher instead of the leg drop. Uh, What's an axe bomb? Axe bomber is like a isn't that like a double uh, double handle? Yeah, I think it's a double handle. Like you put your fists together and jump off the top rope and hit them on the head. Yeah, oh, I think. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. He okay. also did a. Uh, he also did an enziguri too. It's really interesting, honestly. If you go back and watch those matches, like Hogan was never an incredible worker, but he could do some some mat wrestling, and he was like a little more athletic in those days than people would have given him credit for. It's all um, about the bump card, brother. It's all about it. And uh, Hogan also. Here's a fun fact. Hogan was the first ever IWGP heavyweight champion. He beat Antonio Noki in the finals of the IWGP League, uh, which was a precursor to the G1 Climax. And he also tagged with them in Madison Square Garden at the Tag League Tournament in 1982 and 83. So they had like a long history together. But Hogan refused on the basis of being a real American who fights for the rights of every man. And uh, so he wasn't interested in paying homage to the Hermit King Kingdom. So... You had to go with a backup plan as Ric Flair. Yeah. Not a bad backup plan. Not a bad nah, backup plan. Ric Flair's solid. Right? Uh, any thoughts or comments before I go on? Does sauerkraut go bad? <laughs> well, Ugh. it's like it's pickled. So I feel like it definitely takes a while. I feel like it's already bad. So, I mean, yeah. <laughs> what do yeah, you yeah. have to lose? <laughs> it's inherently rotten. Hey, man, it's good for gut health. Would You're not any... wrong. It just still sucks. <laughs> nah, for this card, were there any stipulations or any belts that were on the line or anything that had any significance of that? The thing that had the most significance was the Hashimoto-Scott Norton match. That was for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship because Hashimoto was champion at the time. Uh, they didn't change hands, but outside of that, no, it was mostly exhibition matches. Cool. But, so... So Flair and Inoki's bout was like the only one to actually garner a reaction because the thing is, North Korea didn't give a fuck about professional wrestling. They didn't even really know what it was. They no. were like expect Greco-Roman wrestling and got this weird spectacle like Road Warrior Hawk had a fucking match on it. Uh, they, they just got like this weird hybrid of opera and <laughs> wrestling. So 150,000 yeah. people showed up to this thing blind. They had no idea what they no. were doing. And they were and they were like told at gunpoint. You know, they were like, You're gonna be at this event and they're like, okay, cool. All right. 
sick. Uh, but I wanted the- to see my dying mother, but uh, I guess I'm going to this. <laughs> I guess I'm gonna go to wrestling. <laughs> dying mother. <laughs> bring, yeah, bring it. Bring your mother. Bring your mother. Bring your mother. Hey, if he puts butts in the seats, you know. Fun for the whole fucking oxygen tanks. <laughs> So, but Flair and Inoki actually did start getting a reaction because Inoki had made a bunch of pilgrimages over to North Korea by this point, so he was known. Uh, and you know, this was this was both of them after their prime, but they both could still go. You know, this is 1994, Ric Flair. You're not talking about Ric Flair in 2016. Like he still was was very good. Yeah. Uh, and so he was awarded like they were both awarded vases at the end. Inoki won with an Inziguri. Uh, right, I remember seeing sh- like stuff about this. Okay, okay. It's kind of it's kind of hard to find videos of it, but at the very least, the Flair Noki matches on New Japan World. I'll link it uh, in the comments or in the description, and it's actually a pretty solid match. You know, it's a a fair. It's it's mostly a brawling match that was Noki style, but it was solid. Yeah, but you can tell that the crowd has no idea. It's so weird to hear a crowd unremoved like. Hearing Ric Flair do a chop and not hear a woo afterwards is very strange. Well, that only happened, like, what? After, like, when he made his comeback in the Ruthless Aggression era. Like, that was a, that was only recently that was a thing. I think that was happening in, like, the WCW, like, NWO days as well. I think that was happening when he was there. What, him doing woo? The woos in the crowd? That, 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 uh, well, that was going all the way back to, like, like W, like Georgia Championship Wrestling with like Dusty and stuff like that. Like yeah, all those promos. Always, they were always doing that shit. Oh, Plus Sting, that. Sting did the woo too. Did he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He would even in the WCW versus NWO game, as I flubbed my lines. But uh, in the game, the effects would go woo. <laughs> <laughs> World Tour was my fucking shit. I love now, when game. you say the flare match was well received, was it received as in like a respectful Japanese crowd, or was it received as in like Americans going crazy? So it's weird because so the crowd is making noise. Whether they're making noise because they want to or not, I suppose is an argument you can make. But they are clearly reacting to what's happening in the crowd. They're very clearly on Inoki's side. But it's just so funny to see a crowd so detached from wrestling because all of the crowd reactions you expect, you know, when a a face is getting some shine or when like you're trying to build up heat and you get all these crowd reactions in North Korea. It's just like kind of, they're just chanting. They're just like screaming for everything like chop. Yay. Pin. Yay. It's, it's weird, but um, I don't like know how it's critically reviewed, but like I watched it earlier today and I think it's a perfectly solid old school wrestling match and it's like two big deal people. So it was well received by the crowd and I think it just holds up as like a solid match. It's not going to blow you away, but it's 17 minutes and it's good. And it's the only time it ever happened between those two, so it's historic. Oh, word. That's crazy. I wonder if they made shirts for it and stuff. Oh, they definitely did, for sure. They didn't understand how merch like would uh, generate re- like revenue and stuff until NWO. Like, yeah. Some, and- like... WCW didn't see a full paycheck from the NWO shirts because they had someone illegally selling NWO merch. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. 94 was like when it started and then like throughout that era is like when cuz like they started WWF started selling Austin 316 shows uh shirts yeah. and then you had NWO shirts. Like well. Vince was more knowledgeable about that cuz he was like, "No, it's the merch stands where we make the most money. Then it's concessions." 
So, but so. I'm sure they made some merch. So, if you can yeah. get your hands on it, Will, let me know. Ooh. <laughs> <Even> <laughs> you gotta go. To, you gotta go to the North Korea Goodwill for that, bud. <laughs> yeah, don't give away uh, secrets. Fair enough. Fair enough. So the funniest part about all this is like. Kim Jong-il asked that Ric Flair give a speech afterwards about how he now sees what the DPR, like he sees why North Korea is vastly superior to the rest of the world. And that like really America's just scared. Of, oh of God. <laughs> and like, th- you know, He's Ric Flair was naked, taking his clothes off. <laughs> Ric Flair is a heel, but like, he's an American. It makes me think of that scene where like, it, it was a comic book page where like the Joker and Red Skull are interacting in like a crossover. And Joker finds out that Red Skull's a Nazi, and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm a fucking villain, but I'm not a Nazi. I'm an American criminal. Uh, and so, like, even Ric Flair wasn't about to get heat like that. So he was just like, oh, uh, thank you so much to, you know, gracious Supreme Leader for hosting and, uh, you know, had such a good time. And it almost killed him. Like, he almost died because <laughs> Oh, my God. I just want to thank gracious Supreme Leader. Woo! <laughs> Days got the biggest house on the biggest hill in the biggest country. Uh, so he almost died, but they worked it out. And uh, so like all in all, it's kind of like most of the matches are mediocre. Although Melter did give a four star rating to the women's tag match, but the spectacle of it all is just so fucking wild that I can't think of many things in wrestling wilder than that. Although yeah, true, there are a few others. Uh, so, before we move on, thoughts. Some things are bigger. Some things are bigger than like the event itself, and you know that goes to a whole nother plane just because of like what North Korea is, and like it's the last like like we didn't really grow up during the Soviet era, so we don't know about societies that are closed off to the world quite like North Korea is. Like when you think about the age of the internet and like all like how we're connected in some way or another, like North Korea is still shut off in the world. Yeah. And it's pretty yeah. crazy that like, you know, hey, wrestling, you can make fun of it all you want, but it does crazy shit like connect countries together that are usually closed off to each other. So Or fucking save hostages. Or save hostages, yeah. You know, so it's Rick nuts, Flair's man. Hero. Yeah. Ric Flair's fucking hero. And like Antonio Noki never stopped going back to North Korea. He did end up entering politics again a few years later, and he's made like 27 trips over there. He's one of very few Japanese people that are willing to go to North Korea because strains between the uh, relations between those two are obviously still very strained because, you know, once in a while, North Korea flies a rocket over their fucking heads and shit. And, uh, you know, for 30 years, Japan uh, ruled over the country. So. Fun, fun stuff. Fun stuff. Fun facts. Do uh, you consider Ric Flair the real American, or is it still Hogan? I think that, like, you have to think Hogan is still the real American, but uh, I don't know. Rick also has always been about his bank account, and he probably saw an opportunity and was like, yeah, I'm going to take that. <laughs> I don't blame him. People have done worse for a check. People have also done better, though. Um, yeah. But so. An interesting little thing that also happened in this match, right? I, I mentioned that Road Warrior Hawk was on this show, right? Yeah, where was so, Animal? Animal was not there. I think Hawk was the bigger one in Japan. Okay. Um, Hawk, like, was he's like been IWGP heavyweight tag team champion before, I think, with some people. Oh, word. All right. But 
him and Too Cool Scorpio got into like a fist fight in this show, it, like during it, and Scorpio kicked the ever loving shit out of him. Like Animal was like, oh, he never had a shot. Animal might have been there, but he like wasn't on the show. So they ended up having this real life fight uh, in North Korea. And it's kind of funny because Road Warrior Hawk and Too Cool Scorpio would both be involved in one of the most infamous shoot fighting events of all time. Brawl for all. All right. So has everybody has everybody here seen Brawl for All? I think we we like that was all when we just started watching wrestling. If I'm correct, it's like 1998. Yes. I use this term loosely. Highlights of it. Yeah. Yeah. I watched the Bradshaw. I watched the final of like what was his name? Uh, Gun. Brad. Brad Gun. Bart Gun. Bart Gun. Bart Gun. It was I saw Bart Gun versus Bradshaw. Bart Gun. Okay. Jelly Bean or something. No, that was, <laughs> Butterbean. That was Butterbean, and that was at Mania following. Okay, so around this time, what was particularly popular outside of WWF was uh, like pride fighting. And like that was like the early days of UFC when it was just pretty much don't go below the belt, everything else was legal. So, of course, who has an idea to do a tournament, bro? We got to have a big tournament. It was Russo. Thought I heard like running water. Oh, yeah, oh sorry, Tony's, that was me. Tony's making some meatloaf. <laughs> Unbelievable. Anyway, so JBL actually tries to take credit for this because he wanted to do like a hardcore style tournament for the heavy, uh, the hardcore belt that was coming into the fold. But yeah, right. it was. Re- yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember this now. Corny, believe it or not, who hates Russo with all his fiber and being gives credit to the Brawl for All uh, to Russo because Russo wanted to get like an analogy of like different wrestlers and like UFC fighters and have them do like a shoot style fighting tournament. But Vince didn't really think it was going to get over. So he made it a boxing tournament, which yeah. makes zero sense, but <laughs> nothing Vince does. And also, so. and also like Cornette, Later on, was like this is responsible for a bunch of people's careers ending. So, <laughs> well, yeah, mainly. So, if you guys know this man, uh, Doctor Death Steve Williams, yes, who is a Japanese gaijin legend, uh, came to WWF at this time, and what they wanted to do with Brawl for All is mainly have it uh, revolve around him, and he was going to ultimately win and be like this shoot style fighting guy in WWF and eventually go over. I think they had like title plans for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, it was like this, it was like bringing strong style over to America. Right. Exactly. Um, unfortunately that's not how it went all because of one man. And that was Bart gun. Uh, Bart gun was part of the smoking guns with Billy gun. If you ever wonder where Billy gun got his name from. No relation. And, you know, Billy Gunn Bart, was the champ in my figure fed. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, so Bart Gunn was like an average WWF wrestler, but what he was legit outside of it was an MMA fighter, and he actually had a pretty decent record. Uh, he Bart Gunn? Bart Gunn, yeah. Okay. Bart Gunn fought Steve Williams in the first round of the tournament and knocked him out. And because of this... He ruined all the plans for the rest of the tournament because he was not supposed to win that match. Um, yeah. A, a quick thing. I think it was the second round, right? Because I think that, like, Steve Williams got hurt in the first round. 
Yeah, yeah. Danny got, got knocked, knocked the fuck out. Okay, there you go. That's what it was. So yeah, um, they created this whole tournament to revolve around one person. They had Butterbean of all people, which if you guys don't know anything about Butterbean, I highly recommend you go to YouTube. Uh, he's just like this stocky five foot eleven, bald three hundred pound boxer, and he knocks people out. And it's actually like a treat to see just him just he's wrecking five, people left and right. Yeah, he's not that tall. What five five uh, eleven's taller than me? Well, for a boxer, it's not that tall. Yes, I didn't know. He looks small, I guess, because he's always fighting someone bigger than him. Johnny Knoxville is taller than him. Yeah. Wow, he really is 5'11". Holy shit. I feel good (laughs) about myself. Um, And and so, Brawl is fucking crazy because so many people's careers got fucked up because of it. Like, so Dr. Death gets knocked out and he gets injured and he never recovers. Road Warrior Hawk got fucked up and never recovered from it. Um... And I think some of the people in it, like uh, Dan Severn, I think was in it, won his first yep. match and then like left afterwards. Yeah, he was going to be like big time with WWF, but he really missed MMA in general. So, Plus, they stuck him with that lame NWA like gimmick that he was supposed to carry it over and like Corny wanted yeah. to present NWA as like the shoot style, like, oh, we're mm-hmm. tough again, boy. But it just, it didn't pan out. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the whole tournament was a mess. It wasn't going well. It culminated at WrestleMania 17. The finals was Barkun versus Butterbean. And <laughs> Butterbean knocked Barkun the fuck out. And that was the end of the tournament. <laughs> it fucked up Bart Gunn because Bart Gunn won against Bradshaw and knocked Bradshaw the fuck out. He knocked out Bradshaw, Steve Williams, the Godfather. And like, then he got washed by this actual boxer and just. Every every plan they laid out was terrible. Could you imagine yeah. if he beat Butterbean? I don't even. I don't even know. <laughs> but okay, so how come a company that predetermines any everything did not like account for any of that actually happening? Because you can't like, you can't plan a knockout. You know what I mean? Yeah, fake one, I guess. Right? Like I don't. Know. I think like, he would, he just did a light jab to Bradshaw, and Bradshaw just took it the wrong way and just got knocked yeah. out. <laughs> It was a legit shoot fighting thing. So like none of it was planned outside of what the, who was going to fight who like they all thought Dr. Death was tough as shit. And like, there's no way to beat him. Blah, blah, blah. Wrong. Yeah. But if you hit anyone in the jaw, it's, it's lights out. Like (laughs) it, it doesn't make sense. They just believe their own hype. Yeah. It's just one of those things. It's, uh, you know, and, and people, they get high on the smell of their own shit, and they just, yeah. uh, they didn't think about it, and everybody suffered as a result. Uh, and it, it just, it fucked up so much, and like, you know, like Ryan said, Cornette was like, oh, it was all Vince's, Vince Russo's idea, but also it was like, but it was a terrible idea, and it should have never happened. Crazy. So, I, I mean, you know, we're, in- we're still talking about it, it's just nothing came of it. Like, yeah. I mean, in theory, it could have worked. It wasn't a bad idea. It just executed yeah. poorly. That's all. Like, yeah. they should have made it a boxing, like, tournament. They should have just made it, like, you know, a shoot file style, a shoot fight style, what, like, they wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, to wrap up, like, weird, wacky fucking things in wrestling, like, the last thing just to breeze by about is, like, obviously, like, greatest Royal Rumble is another one of those weird fucking events that happened in modern history. 
where you're just like, we're not going to, you know, I won't go in depth, but obviously greatest Royal Rumble happening in the capital of Saudi Arabia and like having Michael Cole and John Cena come out and be like, progressive state of Saudi Arabia, just just known for human rights. It's just like this massive propaganda cash grab. Well, what are they trying to do? What were they calling it? Like uh, sport washing or something? It was, they called that, and in Crown Jewel, they said they were events equal to or greater than WrestleMania. Oh, yeah, my God. Yeah, they're trying to correct, yeah, that's like, cool. the past of Saudi Arabia, like, trying to seem progressive, even though they weren't. Yeah, they're trying to whitewash it. Yeah, but they called it something else. It wasn't just whitewashing. Either way, let's not get stuck on that. Yeah. Um, hey, they're just trying to correct stuff. It doesn't seem real, but let's see. Yeah, well, I mean, they're trying to rehab their image and present, like, you know, oh, like, Saudi Arabia is a legit destination to the world. Like, it's the next Dubai. However, they killed that reporter and kind of, you know, let's see it, things up for themselves. <laughs> don't, don't murder <laughs> reporters, then. All you uh, need to know about this show is that the, uh, the crown prince requested Yokozuna. And Vince was like, we need Yokozuna. What are we going to do? So they got like some sumo guy from Japan. That's yeah. why that random guy is in the Royal Rumble. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. 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 I didn't know that. He this didn't know terrible. he died. So they got like some sumo guy and like, oh, there he is. There's Yokozuna. Yep. There. <laughs> there have fun. And then like Braun Strowman won the Royal Rumble and got presented that like red and green belt that's never shown up ever again. You got that Wait. trophy that he ended up breaking. Was that him or was that Undertaker that got that trophy? No, there Undertaker. Was trophy, there was a trophy for the whoever won the Greatest Rumble, and you know how Braun does that thing where he like, like twirls his finger and then like, like shoulder tackles everybody on the outside of the ring. Yeah, he yeah, did yeah. That over the trophy and it broke. Oh, sick. <laughs> Whether Lucky. it's the real one or not, I don't know. Ever since Kurt, when Kurt Angle got his medal stolen. At a live event, I don't know if they actually use the legitimate trophies and stuff for that, but yeah, yeah. If they well, make the trophy, they have a backup of it. Yeah, yeah, they always have a backup. Uh, have you guys so, followed the WWE warehouse on their uh, like their Instagram and stuff? Yeah, some good stuff. Yeah, it's probably there. They legit still have Vince McMahon's Corvette in the back parking lot of the WWE building in Stanford. That gives me a boner. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, just, uh, you know, touching on some wacky fucking events in wrestling history. Wrestling is weird. And more I to come. Always, I was always a big fan of the uh, Kennel from Hell match. Oh, oh, my God. Kennel from Hell. I legit thought that Al Snow ate his dog. Pepper. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Al Snow's actually wearing a really cool T-shirt in that match, the Kennel from Hell match, that... I've never seen it's Pepper, his uh, the Chihuahua, and it just says "I want head" in the speech bubble. That's on like a tie dye T shirt. <laughs> and wasn't it like a play on the Taco Bell dog at that time? And like people were obsessed with Yokiro <laughs> Soy Moi Bee or whatever the fuck it is. Yokiro Taco, Taco Bell. Bell. Yokiro Taco Bell. Sorry, yeah. I'm full Spanish. Will have you ever found a Job Squad T shirt? Uh, I never found the. The Job Squad t-shirt, but I did have uh, an Al Snow shirt that uh, it was like head 24-7 instead of like Awesome 316. And on the back of it, it said Job Squad, but I sold it. Nice. <laughs> head before seven. <laughs> head 24, no, head 24-7. Oh, 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 
Ah. Hot. Uh, I would suck. I wouldn't. It's it's not a world I want to live in. Twenty four seven. Too much. It's too Dude. much. That's I got some nuts. It loses uh, the whack. Yeah. Uh, um. So before we wrap up, uh, Ryan, do you have a special fatal four way legend killer for us? I do. I do. And uh, this is a little tradition in case you guys don't know. We, we dig up old pictures of wrestlers and I make Damien try to guess who it is. So I'm about to send a picture of a wrestler to all you guys. Uh, if you know who it is, don't say anything. But if you do, feel free to guess. I think this is a good one. So here it comes. Well, he fucking... Brian did this on you guys' podcast last time. And you're like, oh, it's oh that's fucking, true. So I'm just Kevin the James, people Kevin know. James and McFoley. And I felt bad. About that was myself. an easy one. You didn't thought, know yeah, that? it was real easy, real fucking easy. Uh, did you guys get this picture? Picture. Oh, hello. Oh shit! Can I guess? Hold on. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Sure. Do you have it, Damien? You have it pulled up. I have it pulled up. Is it All Raven? Right. Is it Raven? Scotty Flamingo is Raven. That is correct. Woo! Will you see what oh, I fucking man. mean? This is why we don't have him on the show. <laughs> <laughs> why? Because you just. You fucking, you know shit, and you're a fucking prick for it. Oh, my bad. He's going over, Damien. I'm sorry. No less shit. I, All right, da- it makes Damien. Me feel better. I didn't know. I forgot about the Scotty Flamingo gimmick. Damien, can you describe Scotty Flamingo to, to our guests? <laughs> yeah. Uh, honestly, my very first thought, I don't know if this is fair or not, is like, oh, this is this is like if they just gave, mixed like Bret Hart's Hitman gimmick with uh, Razor Ramones. That's what my. That's actually not was. a bad. Yeah, that's actually not a bad. A uh, just like fucking summation. So we got a we got a we got a lad here with some sunglasses and a nice pretty hat with some some feathery uh, pink and black attire. He's wearing a vest, and uh, yeah, it's Scotty Flamingo, two twenty seven pounds from Palm Beach, Florida. Scotty Flamingo, what a name! That's a great name. The so, next one was supposed to be, uh, he was supposed to be like Shane McMahon's like friend that was ruining his life. <laughs> Come on, Shane, you got to jump off more shit. Come on. Come on. You got to. <laughs> it was before that. Way before that even. Really? Yeah. It was, it was when he was like a clean fucking baby face boy. He was like... Uh, it was after WCW or something. I might be getting the timeline wrong. But yeah, he was supposed to be Shane's friend that was like yep. convincing Shane to do like terrible things. Like, come on, man, <laughs> let's go out and party. Yeah, he was supposed to be Johnny Polo, a spoiled rich preppy kid. Yeah. Was? Raven. So like, Yeah, it's almost like one of the... It's almost one of the greatest, like, what ifs. Like, you know, um, Christopher Daniels is supposed to be the uh, the chosen one. Higher power. Um, so, what is Raven most well known for? Like, what's his most famous gimmick? Raven? Probably. Uh, no, ECW? WCW. Oh, that's true, yeah. Because even uh, the WCW versus NWO game, like, mm-hmm. he had Raven's flock, but they weren't that over. But people like he was such like a niche character that like uh like the cameraman who shot that promo footage, he was like, Raven, get in here, I want you on this cover, and I'm gonna sneak you in. 
that hmm. that's like a true story. Raven told that story. That's awesome. But like, and that's when he was at his most popular because ECW at the time, like, it was popping, but it wasn't super well known because they they like just got a TV deal and it wasn't doing that well or something. Paul Heyman said. Mm-hmm. So, but then Raven went to WCW. And he was a star, just like Billy Kidman was. His biggest feud with was, would you say it was like the Tommy Dreamer feud? Is that like what put him over? Yeah, oh, yeah, hundred percent. That made people love him in on like the Northeast, but then WCW was a bigger audience. Yeah, quote the Raven. Never mind. And then of course he was like the twenty-five time Hardcore Champion when he went to WWE. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the shopping cart. I loved that. Yeah, I used yeah. to have that with his figure growing up. He came with the shopping cart. <laughs> I uh, I imagine and this is kind of like Ryan being like a kid in a candy store because he's finally doing a fucking wrestling podcast with people that know about historical wrestling shit instead yeah. of dealing with me who's like, well, I saw the thing on YouTube. Here's, the, here's shit about Japan. Hey, I don't know <laughs> shit about Japan, so I mean, you, you get it a lot on me too, so... <laughs> I got you. It's all right. That's why your show's good. You got two different brains going. Uh, that's sweet but of you. I don't think I don't think Scotty Flamingo and Raven the characters are connected, but it would be cool to think if like Scotty Flamingo was like tormented and like terrorized and became goth, and that's why Raven was born. <laughs> well, who who do you think he was closer to, like in real life? Do you think he was like Scotty Flamingo in real life, and then became like Raven in real life, or do you think he was always kind of Raven esque? I think if you look at like his pictures of himself from the time, like he was definitely like that, you know, Daytona Beach style hanging on the on the uh, beach with drinking and shit, like you know, like one of those preppy kids. But as the '90s continued and he went to ECW and he's like you know, hardcore wrestling got over. He definitely became the Raven character, hundred percent, more so like... than he did Scotty Flamingo. Well, by the time he was over with ECW. What year was that? Was that like 96, 98? Yeah, 96, 97. So by that time, Sting had already become the Crow, right? Right. So I feel like that was like, oh, okay, yeah, we'll have a gothic character. Like, because, you know, I feel like yeah, he was, was more he was guy. more grunge than, I guess, gothic. But I guess, you know, to the outside eye, people thought like those things were the same, I guess. Well, well, he started off quoting fucking Edgar Allan Poe. You know, like you're either that way in real life or you're not. You know, yeah. <laughs> like... If you're the type of guy walking around quoting the fucking Raven or just walking around talking in Edgar Allan Poe quotes, you can't hide that. You can only be what you are. Uh, Very so he true. also got uh, the ministry t-shirt over. So, And he was one of the first people to wear a Punisher t-shirt. Which then got co-opted by cops. <laughs> Somehow, even, even though the Punisher kills cops. <laughs> now, now it's a cop thing. Uh, all right, that's a that's a fun little legend killer. And Ryan, if you had to give one, actually, I'll open us up to everybody before we wrap up. If you had to give one Raven match that you would tell people to watch, what would it be? What What do you think is the thing you would tell people to watch about him? Uh, WrestleMania seventeen. Yeah, WrestleMania seventeen with this any any of his hardcore stuff. It's hard to pick one hardcore match in uh, in WWF when he was there. But definitely WrestleMania 17. Um, honestly, his ECW stuff is my favorite. Tommy Dreamer versus Raven at WrestlePalooza 97. Tommy Dreamer versus the Sandman versus Raven versus Rhino. Uh, and then Tommy Dreamer and Raven actually reunited their feud again on Raw 
If you go to Raw, the episode of twelve twenty nine oh two, that's a fun match. Mm. Um, the, all the ECW pay per views like WCW, they're all on the network, right? Yeah, everything we just mentioned, it's all on the network. And honestly, if you haven't checked out any of the ECW stuff from the late nineties, then do yourself a favor and go check it out. Because uh, it's not just it's not just goofy crap. It's like legit, like so many good matches. Like uh, Juventud Guerrero versus uh, Eddie Guerrero, which is like a five star match by uh, Meltzer. Like, go check out all that stuff. Awesome. I'll make sure to link up a bunch of that <clears throat> shit. Uh, is this WrestleMania 17 match? Is that him versus Rhino, or is that the whole Big Show, Kane, Raven? Big Show, Kane, Raven. Wait, show. is it 17 or 18? 17. Yeah, because they're in Canada? Same. Well, isn't that the same one as Austin Rock, right? 17? Oh, my yeah, bad. It's All a it's long, yeah, it's a long ramp. 17's in Texas, isn't it? It's, I don't think it's in Canada. That that isn't that isn't seventeen the one with like the most famous Austin Rock match where like Rock turns heel or Austin, Austin, turns, heel? Austin, turns, Austin turns, turns heel, heel yeah. and like joins Eight? up with Vince. You are right about eighteen being in Canada, Anthony. That was the one with Hogan and Rock. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Because that was the one that we just spoke about. How like they started playing off the crowd. How like Rock was supposed to be the face but then like the crowd was so overwhelmingly for hogan that they just changed it up mid-match yeah yeah okay cool strong recommendations all right so before we we wrap up uh as is custom what's everyone been listening to lately uh Uh, i've been listening to the new heaven shall burn release that's uh, sweet a nice name right very religious uh, I've been listening to Spirit Box, which is like XI Wrestle the Bear once. Okay. Uh, it's amazing. And then I've, uh, I don't know, I'm obsessed with the Japanese house, so I listen to that pretty much every day. And, uh, Amber Bain, which is the vocalist of the Japanese house, is actually doing, uh, live right now on YouTube, uh, like a live performance, and you can donate money, and it goes to any, it goes to like some relief funds. So, that's cool. Definitely check that out. Okay, Tony, what about you? I've been listening to this band, Head Cave. They have one new EP. It came out the end of 2019, and I, that's been on repeat for me. Uh, but I've also been listening to uh, the new Code Orange. I haven't checked that out yet. How is it? Uh, it's worth listening to. It's definitely album of the year. Oh, Wow. You really or- undersold that at first to then go to album of the year. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just album of the year. I'm I'm not even gonna explain it. Just go listen for yourself. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's uh album of the year, so Yeah, yeah, no no big deal. No big okay. deal. <laughs> cool. I've been listening predominantly to uh because plague and quarantine leads to some some real hardcore negativity. So I've been listening to a ton of like Brian Eno fucking <laughs> ambient soundscape another green world yeah i've been listening to like music for airports and like music for films and shit i've also been very heavy into which i know tony will appreciate uh ghosts one through four by nine inch nails nice solid get some old town Um, road in there yeah (laughs) is that the album is that the album where it comes from track 34 yes is what the samples from uh ghost one through four is like really cool almost entirely instrumental like ambient soundscape shit from nine inch nails but also there's some really great like 
driving industrial shit on there. And most recently on the 26th, they released Ghost 5 and Ghost 6 for free on their website. And it's now streaming. 5 is very oh, much like... Oh, I didn't like, know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. 5 is very much in the same vein as like 1 through 4 where it's mostly like quiet, kind of introspective. And then 6, which I think is called Locusts, is maybe one of the most anxiety-inducing shit that I've ever heard. Like it's it's right up there with like that no that new daughters album where you just feel like you have fucking schizophrenia while listening to it. Right. Um, <laughs> but I I also listen to the new Childish Gambino and Weekend albums, which are both very good. Uh, so it's been fun. Awesome. This is, th- this is like the third time that Will and I have been talking, and that the weekends come up. It, dude. I mean, his he's got a fun vibe because it's all about just you know partying. fucking fucking people and partying but in this like eternal winter lo-fi beat i described it as like hedonism for the sake of trying to make yourself feel something music uh so i heard that he's like been getting real fucked up and people are like concerned about him that sounds about right who is this (laughs) the weekend weekend Oh. I forget. I forget who was telling a story, but someone told a story about that a bunch of like famous artists were partying in L.A., and someone shaved off his eyebrow, and he came running outside onto the deck. He's like, "You guys, you shaved my eyebrow! What the hell?" <laughs> uh, not to not to harp on Old Town Road, but isn't it cool that like Trent Reznor has had two like different artists like on opposite ends of the spectrum, Johnny Cash and Little Nas X. Like take two, two yeah. of his songs and make them hit singles. Well, I would yeah, actually no. say three. I would say three because uh, there's a great cover out there of uh, something I can never have by Sad Kermit, and that's great. So, oh, I gotta check nice. that out. Look it up. It's it's uh, Kermit the Frog, but he does like acoustic covers of something I can never have. Yes, yes. Uh, but it's actually a really fucking good cover. Um, that's great. So yeah. Sick. Um, well, I think that's all we've got here. Um, so I want to give a special thank you to Will and Anthony here uh, for really just letting me ramble on at length about bullshit for a while. Very thank kind you of you guys. Thank for letting me have my water run. I apologize. Guys. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking glass, running water. It's okay. Don't Dude, worry. yeah. What a fucking day. You really should have <laughs> been playing the Stone Cold theme afterwards. So that's a Hey, it's like 316 somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's 316 somewhere. So, uh, you know, we'd definitely love to have you guys back on. Uh, definitely love to be on the podcast sometimes. So thanks a lot for, I'd say, coming out. But thanks thanks for clicking a button and being here. Hell thanks yeah. For- this is quarantine life, baby. Quarantimes. Having some quarantimes. Uh, so, yeah. We'll check back in after Mania. And uh, make sure to go check out Friend Beers, uh, especially if you're into science. Anthony's brother does fun science stuff at the end, which is always fun. Yeah, he's and, been uh, lazy, though. Oh, uh, he's been lazy? It's not cool. He's been super we need science lazy. more now than ever, too, and he's just been shitting the bed. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, make sure to go check out uh, Resistor and Thracian, wherever music is. Oh, and Deep Cover and- NY. I forgot about that before. And Deep Cover NY, Will is... Uh, Yo, throw throw the discount on here. Throw the yeah, discount. So there's free shipping in the U.S., and if you use the code FRIENDBEERS, you'll get 10% off your whole order. It's awesome. awesome. It's, you didn't bring this up at first. Um, I forgot. But 
Yeah, Will, yeah, Will has supplied me with all my awesome wrestling wardrobe that I can never get my hands on after, you know, I have not been able to find it since I was a kid. So I appreciate him for that. Plus, you don't have to leave your house. It's all online. So just yep. go on there, use the friend beers code and get some cool merch that Will's selling. If you're about friendship and you're about vintage shit, uh, go check out Deep Cover. Go give Will some money. Uh, support <laughs> independent artists. And yeah, that's folks. stimulus tech, baby. Duration.bandcamp.com. <laughs> uh, friend beers. Friend beers one. Let's do this. Not better friend beers. Don't. No, nah, like fuck it. better friend beers. Unblock me, you coward. <laughs> <laughs> and there you have it, folks. That was the holy shit, it's WrestleMania special. Uh, being that we don't really have a ton of wrestling happening outside of Dynamite for some time, I mean, we'll see what happens if, if NXT's got more tapings, what WWE does. We have a little special surprise for everybody. Uh, so stay tuned. You'll have a new episode maybe next week. So for Anthony, Will, and Ryan, this has been the most electrifying must-listen-to podcast in sports entertainment. This has been FFC.